The following audio is recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church and is part of our series called Prayer. To find out more information about our church or to find more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Again, good morning and happy New Year's. I hope that last night um, you had a good time bringing in the new year, maybe saw some fireworks. Um, But as we start into 2017 as a church, we wanted to spend the first couple weeks talking about prayer. We're starting a series today um, creatively entitled Prayer. Uh, as we start our new year. Um, The importance of this, the importance of our time together as we talk about prayer, it really can't be, it can't be overstated. Uh, The importance of prayer really cannot be, can not be overstated. Prayer is one of those things for, for most of us that we, we want to get better at. We want to see growth in our, in our prayer life. Um, It's something that we all desire. In fact, I would guess, how many here are New Year's resolution people? Come on. I would raise my hand twice, people. Um, Well, for both of us, I would assume that that prayer is one of the most common things that that finds its way on the New Year's resolutions of, of many followers of Jesus. You guys wouldn't understand that because you're not resolution people. Um, but for all of our desire for prayer, it's something that, that for so many of us is a, is a struggle. And, and we struggle on two levels. Uh, one, we struggle on a personal level, on a, um, a personal, private level our quiet time, our time away. We struggle on a personal level. Um, I've, I've talked to so many that just wonder, am I doing this right? Why is it that I spend 45 seconds in prayer and then my mind is going in so many different directions? Am I doing this right? Or it, I've talked to so many people who, who struggle with the idea that, that God is actually present. In those, in those moments, and we ask, are we, are we, doing, it, are we doing it right? Um, number two, though, just as much, if not more, is public and corporate prayer. Just me saying that probably made you a little uncomfortable. Um, group prayer can be absolutely terrifying. It can be something that could, it could make us uh, quite quite uncomfortable. I have, I have seen churches with well over a thousand people every weekend have a prayer night and three come. That's crazy. Like, how could that be? What is, what is it about public prayer that makes some of us get so uncomfortable? Um, other than praying before food, public prayer can be very, it can be intimidating and, and uncomfortable. So we struggle on, on two levels, on personal and public. And so in this series, what we want to do is to talk about both. Uh, this week, I'm going to talk about personal and private prayer. Uh, I can't wait for this. Uh, personal and private prayer. And then next week, we're going to continue this on, and we're going to shift gears and look about 
look at um, corporate and, and when we pray together, when the church comes together and prays together. Here's our hope for this time. Our hope for our time over the next couple weeks is, is for us to, to be encouraged and strengthened in our prayer life. Whether that be private or together. That we are encouraged, that we're strengthened, uh, that we grow in our confidence in who our God is. And because of that, that we grow in our confidence when we, when we pray. Uh, more than that, and I'm just going to be up front, my, one of my driving hopes and driving prayers for us in our time is that our desire for prayer increases. Uh, not that we're shaming you to pray more, because that's not going to work. Um, but that through our time together, that we just become more aware of who our God is and this beautiful uniqueness of, of prayer, and that, that our desire for it grows in our time together. Um, so as we begin, I wanted to frame our, our, the first part of our morning with a quote, and I absolutely love this quote. It's by Charles Spurgeon, and Spurgeon was one of um, the greatest preachers that we've that the that has ever been. Uh, the stories of this man when he would preach the word, the way God would use him. I mean, this guy was this guy was the man. All right, and um, but just as impressive as his as his preaching was his personal his passion for personal. Prayer and, and I love this because his heart for his prayer uh, ministry was driven because he had an understanding of who God is. Listen to this quote. Because God is the living God, he can hear. Because he is a loving God, he will hear. And because he is our covenant God, he has bound himself to hear. You love that? I do. It doesn't matter if you, I love, that is, that is incredible. Spurgeon here reminds us of three things that I want us to kick off our time together. He reminds us, one, that our God is alive. That our God is alive, he is, he is personal, he is living, he is able to hear. Um, Revelation 1, Jesus says, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore and have the keys of death and Hades. How's that for power? Our God is alive, and he is, he is active. He is able to hear. Just don't rush past that. When we pray, we're praying to a God who is alive and who is able to hear. Not only that, though, our God is alive, and our God is love. So we spent time in 1 John 4, or 1 John this year, and in 1 John 4, I love this, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And in this, love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Our God is love. Not only is he alive, personal, living, able to hear, but our Bible tells us that he is love, and he 
wants to hear you. He desires to hear you. He listens because he loves, he loves you. Uh, and not only is our God alive and able to hear, not only is he love and actually wants to hear you, loves to hear you, but our God is faithful. He's faithful to the promise that he will never leave you. He's faithful to the promise that Jesus will forever be interceding on your behalf. He's faithful to the promise. He's bound himself to listen. You don't have to wonder, church, if our God hears us because he's able to hear, he loves to hear, and he has bound himself in a covenant relationship with us that he will hear. And we can have confidence that he is alive, he is love, he is faithful, and because of that, church, we pray. Because of that, we pray. The motivation of prayer Church, is not us getting something from God. The motivation for us praying is not us getting something from God, getting to God's stuff. Our motivation for prayer is God himself. This is the first thing I want us to look at this morning. Our motivation for prayer is God himself. This is why, church, I do not want to shame you into praying more. I don't want to, this to just be a time where you walk away feeling guilty because I don't need you to pray more. God doesn't need you to pray. He doesn't need anything from you. That's not what prayer is. But because he is alive, because he is, he is love, and because he is faithful, he has invited you to come to him. He has opened the door and said, come. Come and, 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 and talk. Come and be in fellowship with me. He's invited us to pray. We come to him because we need him, church. Our motivation is that we are the ones who are in need. I don't want us to ever forget that. We are the ones who are in need. And praise God, church, that he has made himself available. Praise God that our God has made himself available. Let me put it like this. We are only together here this morning talking about prayer. We are only here, this is only possible because God allowed us in, made himself available. If he did not, if he was not a God who made his, who lent an ear, prayer would be talking into the air. And we would not need to be here today talking about, about prayer because it would be pointless. Without understanding who our God is, we are simply talking to ourselves. I am convinced that one of the driving reasons that we struggle in our prayer life so often is because we fail to understand who we're talking to. That we fail to understand who we're talking to. Because when, church, we, we grasp who we're actually talking to, when we grasp that, that we're talking to a God who, who loves us, who cares for us, a God who created everything out of nothing, and we realize that we're talking to the God who rules over all things, who is in control of all things. And when we realize that he is actually listening to us, church, that changes everything. That changes the heart of our prayer. That changes our motivation. That is worth getting up for in the morning. 
If you're not a morning person, that is, uh, is, is worth staying up late at night. Again, I don't understand people that are night people, but for you, this makes it worth it. Without this, without us understanding who our God is, there's no need for ta- even talking about prayer because it will never be an issue. It will never be a priority for us. It only becomes a priority when we understand, when our motivation for prayer is God himself. Uh, I want to read to you a lyric. I was, I was studying this week, and um, just on my headphones, this song kind of caught me, and I listened to a, a verse of it and just thought, yes, that is perfect. And so I wanted to read this to you because they, this, they get it. This is from a group um, called The Modern Post. It says, come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. For the one who holds the heavens and commands the stars above is the God who bends to bless us with an unrelenting love. Church, that's prayer. That's prayer. And when we get that, there is nothing that can keep us away from it. That is prayer. So, we, so starting from that, starting with God as our motivation, um, I want us to move from motivation to our model. So our motivation for prayer is God himself, and our model for prayer is Jesus Christ. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to the book of Luke. Um, there we go. Uh, to the book of Luke. And as you get there, I know as a church, we've spent a lot of time in Luke. Uh, this year. And, and Luke is a unique book and it, for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons is because Luke talks about prayer the most out of any of the Gospels. Uh, so much so that, that many call the Gospel of Luke the Gospel of prayer. Uh, it's one of his, his, his primary focuses. And, and one of the things I love about Luke is we get this picture of, of the prayer life of Jesus Christ. And so just Let's just call this for what it is. Jesus, we believe he is the only perfect man. Amen? We believe he's the only perfect man, therefore, the only perfect man with a perfect prayer life. Amen? And Luke gives us a glimpse into that. Luke gives us a glimpse into that. And so I thought it would be only fitting for us just to look at Luke a little bit, to look at our model. Um, Before I do this, we're going to bounce around a little bit. I could have picked so many more. I just grabbed a few, okay? I could have picked so many more places to highlight, but let's just look at a couple. First, Luke 5. Um, Luke 5, verses 15 and 16. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him uh, and to be healed of their infirmities. Listen to verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is not the only time that Luke is going to tell us that our Savior would withdraw. Uh, Jesus would withdraw. And this is huge because this is something we really struggle with. Um, But Jesus would withdraw from, from the people, from the noise, from the things, from the good things, from the ministry, from healing people, from teaching, he would withdraw. And he would go where Luke says to desolate 
places. Church, if Jesus had an iPhone, he would have left it back at the donkey, right? Or on airplane mode, at least. He would withdraw from the noise, from the distraction. He would withdraw to solitude for a moment, an intentional moment of prayer. Not only would he withdraw, uh, but Luke tells us so many times that, that often when he would withdraw, he would withdraw for a long time, for extended periods of time. Uh, listen to this one. Uh, Luke 6, just one, just one chapter over in, in verse 12. Um, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. All night Jesus continues in prayer. Um, so not only would Jesus, which I haven't even brought up one of the texts where he sacrifices food to fast and pray, but Jesus would sacrifice even sleep, and sleep is wonderful. And he would sacrifice his sleep because prayer is more critical, more vital. It is that important. And so he continued in prayer all night long. I could do a lot more. Let's just do two more. I cannot not talk about Luke 22. If you look at Luke 22, Luke captures one of the most intense prayer moments that Jesus ever had. A moment when he approaches his father in absolute anguish, in incredible pain, under enormous amounts of stress, to the point, church, of sweating blood. Listen to this in verse 41. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, again withdrawing himself, and knelt and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What a moment, church. Our, our Savior here, Jesus, is, is coming to the Father and pleading to the Father for a different outcome. He's coming to the Father, pleading, please, I know what is come. please change. Like, I, I, not, but nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. He comes, can you relate to that, church, by the way? Coming to God and just pleading and pleading and praying and praying for an outcome, hoping that he would hear and respond in a certain way. But here in this moment, Jesus lays down his will and submits to the Father's will, showing his complete reliance on the Father. Um, we'll come back to this one. Last one, though, and I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke 11. We're going to camp here for a little bit. Luke 11. And while you're getting there, how many of you have ever wondered if you're doing this right? Prayer. All right. Some of you are honest. I think it's kind of a universal thing when we sit down 
there are times we wonder, are we, are we doing this right? I, so I have kept a prayer journal for the last three or four years, and uh, occasionally I'll look back on it, and so often I wonder how on earth God is so patient with me. Uh, I literally, I, I read one the other day, I literally just whined for like 15 minutes straight, I just whined to God. I know what whining sounds like, by the way. I happen to be around it a lot. Not talking about my wife, talking about my kids. Um, but I just whined like a toddler whining to a father, and I wonder, God, I know if my boys did that to me, I'd be pulling out my hair, but yet my heavenly father is, is patient. And here I am whining to the God of the universe. Am I doing this right? Um, I want to encourage you with the fact that for, for those of us who have wondered, if you're doing this right, you are not alone. You are not the only one. You are not the first, nor will you be the last. In fact, you are in great company. Look at Luke chapter 11. Uh, and now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Again, Jesus modeling prayer again for, for them. And when he had finished, uh, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So the disciples here, the men who were around Jesus the most would see him pray, would see his prayer life. You, you almost get the picture that they're, they're standing a little ways off watching him pray, saying, no, you ask. Okay, when he's done, you ask. Like, you, no, you be, okay, fine. I'll be the one, I'll ask him when he's done. You get this sense that they're watching him, waiting for him to be done, so that they, again, these are his disciples. These are his, his disciples. They see Jesus in prayer, and they wonder, Lord, can you teach us? Do you know what another way of asking that question is? Lord, am I doing this right? Lord, am I doing this right? Uh, so just from a, no matter who you are, how young, how not so young, how new to the faith, how mature in the faith you are, um, all of us have room to grow and have room to learn. And so the disciples come to Jesus after he finishes, after they wait and see he's done, and they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, are we doing this right? And then in verse two, and Jesus, he said to, to them, when you pray, and now here comes Jesus' model. Here comes the model. Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Uh, there's an expanded version of this prayer in Matthew, but the prominent points remain the same. Here, Jesus starts with an acknowledgement of the Father. He acknowledges simply who he is talking to in this moment. Uh, Father, hallowed be your name. He, he just starts there, and then he turns, and he shows them how to now align yourself with God's will. He says, your kingdom come. Then he, he expresses a reliance on the Father for his sustenance to give us each day our daily bread. He knows that we have nothing apart from him. And so he starts there. And then he leads them to a, a confession of their sin. And forgive us our sins, Jesus said. By the way, 
I, I know I don't need to remind you, but we are a broken people, church. We are a broken people, and sin can break our fellowship with our God. And we, we come to him broken, but then, but then God invites us to come to him as broken people, to pour that out before our God. And when we do this, here's what I want us to see. We are expressing our confidence that there is no sin too great for the cross. And so Jesus says, forgive us our sins. We confess our sins. And then he continues that because he knows we're gonna be around people who are sinners, and they will sin against us. And so he moves and he says, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. He moves on to our relationships, and then from there he, he finishes with this, and lead us not into temptation. It's almost like he knows us. It's almost like he knows us, and he proactively prays for help. Church, this is a simple, it's a short, and it's a beautiful prayer. Follow, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Again, Jesus is modeling and teaching for them what prayer looks like. And then I love this, verse five, and he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, Though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, he is his friend, uh, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Listen to this. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Do you hear what just happened there, church? Uh, Jesus just gave you the permission to come to God with your requests multiple times. He just gave you this permission. Jesus shows us that the, fire, the Father does not tire of hearing his children come to him. And, and in fact, Jesus says, you will receive an answer. Now listen to this, uh, this last part. Whatever, or what father among you if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? That's just wrong. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Again, not good. And if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Jesus shows us that we can trust our, our Heavenly Father. We can trust Him, even when His response is not what we are thinking. That we can trust Him, that we can trust that He is good and that He loves His children. He says, if an imperfect earthly father knows how to not give cruel and mean and dangerous gifts to their kids, how much more will a perfect God in heaven know how to give really good gifts to his children? Seek and you'll find, knock and it'll be open. He says, 
all of your prayers will be answered. Now, this is controversial. All of your prayers will be answered, all of them, but not all of them will be answered in the way that you were hoping. All of them are answered. Just not all of them are answered in the way you were hoping. Think about Jesus himself. We just read in in chapter 22 when Jesus lays down what he was hoping, what he was pleading for. And to put it in really simple terms, he didn't get what he wanted. But he submitted to the will of the Father. Now, if that happened to Jesus Christ, I guarantee, church, it's going to happen to you from time to time. When you come to your Father, and I don't want to belittle this because this is, this is huge, church. When you come to your Father and you plead, you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and you pray, and then you pray some more, and you are pleading for, for God to intervene, pleading for an answer, and then the Father answers in a way that you just do not understand that you do not understand. Church, what do you do in that moment? What do you do in that moment? Do you kind of shake your fist, get angry, get bitter, um, think, I know better, Lord, how could you? Do you go there? Or do you look up, submit, and say, I do not understand, and I am hurting, but I trust you. Your will be done. Do we model ourselves after Jesus Christ? What do we do in those situations? Here, I I want you to hear me on two things. One, um, if we knew all that God knew, knows, if we knew all that God knows, then we would answer our prayers in exactly the same way he answers them. If you knew everything that God knows, you would answer your own prayer exactly the way he answered it. Because he is good, he is perfect, and he loves you better than you can love yourself. Number two, because of this, prayer is not as much about us coming to God in an attempt to try to bend him to our will as it is us coming to God in order that we may be bent according to his perfect will. That's a huge distinction. Our God is perfect and we can trust him. He is good. So our motivation for prayer is God himself. Our model for prayer is Jesus Christ. And lastly, our prayer life, I want you to hear me, our prayer life is ongoing through the Holy Spirit. I know I'm having you turn all over in your Bible, but I'm going to make you turn one more time to uh, 1 Thessalonians. Turn to the right, a couple books. Um, While you're getting there, so Paul wrote this letter to a church in Thessalonica, and he's giving instructions, and and in this letter, toward the end of the letter, when he's kind of landing the plane, trying to bring things to a conclusion in chapter 5, he's going to finish with this instruction Listen to this. Rejoice always, verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. 
For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. He gives three commands. Paul gives us three commands. He, he says, and they're each similar, and they relate. He says, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Rejoice, pray, give thanks, and then attached to each one of those commands is, is an adverb. He's telling us how we are to do these things, and he says, always, without ceasing, in all circumstances. Paul here is communicating that prayer, giving thanks, rejoicing, these things are not supposed to be things that stop, but they're supposed to be ongoing, constant, having no end. So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. And then Paul adds, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's it. Take that in. Take that, take that in. This is God's desire. This is God's plan for you, that you do this. So, does that describe your life? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Does that describe you? Or, maybe, is, is this just one of those weird commands that God didn't really mean? More like a heavenly suggestion that, that we need to kind of slowly work towards somewhere up here but not really ever get to. Is that one of these? Or did he actually mean for us to live this way? Did he actually, did, was Paul saying that we can actually walk and live our lives like that? Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. And if he meant it, which he did, if he meant it, how? How on earth do we do this? And, and to kind of talk through this, I, I, want it, I want us to understand two things here. One, prayer, this sounds really simple, really, you know, like a no-brainer. I need to say it, though. Um, prayer is a, a single moment. Here's what I mean by that. Prayer is a single moment, meaning... Um, being in an attitude or being continually in prayer requires you to actually stop and pray, right? It's, it's an actual moment where it's set aside intentionally to communicate with God, to speak, to listen, to be. This is prayer. That, that is prayer. An ongoing attitude of prayer will express itself in actual moments of prayer. This sounds super childish, but, but here is why I say this. Um, since Paul says pray without ceasing, well, obviously he can't mean to actually be praying without ceasing. We can't do that, right? And so obviously Paul means something else, so I can just be in this spiritual moment of prayer and never act. No. No. Prayer is coming to our God in awe and wonder, coming to our God in thanks, coming to our God with our lives, bringing him ourselves and our requests and, and our mess. This is prayer. That is prayer. And hear me, prayer is never less than that. Prayer is never less than that. However, prayer is also more than that. Prayer is also a relationship. Prayer is a relationship. Now, 
as I said, obviously, we are not going to be able to be in our prayer closets for 24 hours a day. We have families. We have jobs. We, we probably should sleep and eat from time to time. Uh, also, let's just be clear. God gave us a mission to accomplish. How are we going to do that if we're in our prayer closet 24 hours a day? So obviously, I mean, how, how, do we, how do we do that? Hear me. Prayer without ceasing is only possible through a, an ongoing, active relationship with our God. And that relationship with God is only possible because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that relationship is now experienced through the Holy Spirit on a daily, ongoing level. In other words, church, I want, you to, I want you to hear me when I say this. You are not an Old Testament saint. You're not an Old Testament saint, meaning uh, you do not need to go to a holy place. You do not need to wear holy garments. You do not need to wait for a holy time and a holy moment to communicate with your God. You, through the work of Jesus Christ, through his work, what he has done, have an ongoing, open-door relationship with the God of the universe. You have that through Jesus Christ. And now, through the Holy Spirit, you get to walk in that and, in, and enjoy that. You do not have to go to a holy place. You are a holy place. You do not have to go to a temple. You are the temple. The, the Bible tells us that, that the Spirit dwells in us. That means after you say amen, after you stand up, after you close your journal, whatever you do, after that moment, because of Jesus Christ, because of his work, because of what he has done, your communion with God does not end. It carries on past the amen because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It's ongoing. It's continually. It's, it's walking in the Spirit. Our prayer life is ongoing through the Holy Spirit. David asked in Psalm 139, where can I go? Where can I go to get away from you? <laughs> Not in those exact words. But where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go that you are not there? Church, the answer is nowhere. Nowhere. You are a child of God. and dwell. Your father is ever present. Ever present. And our relationship with him extends Beyond the amen. It extends beyond the amen because the spirit dwells in you. The motivation for prayer is God himself. The model for prayer is Jesus Christ and, and our prayer life is ongoing through the Holy Spirit. So what I'd like for us to do um, is to examine ourselves. In light of this, I want us to examine examine ourselves. I want us to ask just a couple of questions to ourselves. Don't need to answer them out loud, but you do need to answer. I want you to ask and answer these questions as we examine ourselves. First, what is your motivation? 
What is your motivation in prayer? What is your motivation? Is it because you feel guilty? Is it because you know, you're like, ugh. It's like that workout routine that you want to start. You know it's looming, but it's there. You feel guilty for not having started it already. Is it like that? What is your motivation? Or is it because you're constantly trying to get things from God? Is it because he's kind of like this cosmic ATM machine, this, this wonderful heavenly genie, just existing to grant you your wildest, wildest dreams? Is that why you come to him? Church, I'm just thinking as a dad. If my kids came to me for either one of these reasons, I'm, I'm doing something wrong. I don't want that. I don't want that. God doesn't want that either. What is your motivation? If not only are both of these motivations off, not only are they both off, um, but both are not going to sustain you. They're not. Um, If you pray only because you're guilted to pray, that negative pressure is not going to last. It's just like any diet or exercise routine that, we, that we're guilted into trying. That doesn't last. That's not a lasting motivation. And I don't want to guilt my children to talk to me. Ugh, let's talk to dad. I don't want that. That's not a relationship. That's legalism. It's more of a punishment to talk to me than anything. I don't want that. And and if you pray only to get things from God, is there any wonder that your prayer life is not vibrant? Because when we pray and he doesn't give us what we want, our ATM machine's broken, so then we try to do things on our our own way. We live our lives to get what we want in life and to focus on us and me. It's a me centric prayer. And is there any wonder why it doesn't last? Is there any wonder um, what, it, what tends to happen in either one of these scenarios is the first time that we get serious about our prayer life is when a crisis hits us. And we realize, oh, I can't fix this one. This is out of my hands. Now I know I can pray. Now I know I can come to him. Neither of these motivations work and neither one of these motivations are true. We are a people who are, our motivation is driven, church, by the realization who we're actually talking to, who God is, that God himself, creator, provider, sustainer, perfect, holy, good, just, that God, that God would actually stop and listen and love you and want you to come to him, not just for his things, but for himself to enjoy a relationship with him. That realization changes everything. When we realize he has invited us to come to him, that changes everything. Suddenly our motivation is not self-centered. Suddenly it becomes very God-focused. What is your motivation this morning? Second question I want you to to ask yourself and answer is what is your method? 
This is a very practical question. What is your method? Jesus kind of models what a prayer life looks like in, in his life. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask you, what does it look like for you? Um, do you know how to set aside time? I can show you what the airplane mode button is on your phone if you need me to. Do you know how to set aside time? Do you know, um, do you have a place? Do you know where you would even go to pray? Sometimes that's really challenging. Um, I don't enjoy waking up as early as I do, but wow, it's quiet. That's a beautiful thing. Do you have a place? Do you have... Do you know what works? Do you know what you are going to do when you sit down to pray? When you kneel, I happen to pace. I love pacing. It's like when I talk on the phone, I can't sit there. I gotta be walking, that's me. Do you know what you're gonna do when you come before the God of the universe? Do you know what happens next? I love it. What is your method because here's, here's the deal. Um, your, your method could look different depending on who you are. We all have different ways that we come before our Father, and that is beautiful, and that is wonderful, um, but that is also not an excuse to not have a method. It's not an excuse. Um, there are so many good resources, by the way. I want to show you one. Um, so a couple weeks ago, I posted a review about this. Uh, on our website, on our blog. I want to invite you to look, to, to look at it. But this is, in my opinion, it's a must read. Not because I get anything from the sales of this book, because I don't, but it has changed my prayer life. Um, it's a very short read. Look at that. Uh, very, very short read. It is wonderful. And, and what this is, is, is Whitney, what he does in this book is it's talking specifically about method, how we pray. And he has a unique way of using the Bible in a way that brings life into our prayer life. Look, this is not the answer for everyone. This is not the finally we all know. How, no, but this is a tool. And it's a tool that I happen to really like. So if you, if you want any more info about this, um, let me know. Check out our blog. It's up there. But, but let me know. I'd be happy to connect you. Because here's the fact. We need a method. We need to know what we are about to do. As simple as that may sound. You don't accidentally stumble into a vibrant prayer life. The enemy is way too smart for that. Throw a distraction and he has got that accidental prayer life off the rails. This is something we need to... It is worth being intentional about this, church. It is worth being intentional. We need a method. And so I want to ask, do you have one? Do you have a method? What is your motivation? What is your method? And then lastly, church, there is a profound joy. I mean profound joy in being in fellowship with God in prayer. Do you know that joy? When I talk about uh, prayer, I'm not talking about some religious motion. I'm not talking about um, 
some lifeless discipline. I'm not talking about something, um, I'm a goal guy and I love checking boxes off. I'm not talking about something we check off on any to-do list. I'm not talking about that. When I talk about prayer, I am talking about joy. I am talking about the life-giving, ongoing relationship with our God. When I talk about prayer, I am talking about the single greatest moment of the day, the single greatest use of our time. I am talking about absolute joy. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about prayer. Do you know that joy? Do you know that joy? Our motivation for prayer is God himself. Our model is Jesus Christ, and our prayer life now is is ongoing. Praise God, it is ongoing through the Holy Spirit. And church, you are invited into that. That is what prayer is. That is what prayer is. And so it's only fitting that we end our time in prayer this morning. Would you pray with me?